Hey guys, it's Drew again. And we're continuing our conversations about what it is to be a person of color in LA. This week's guest is the VP of Creative and Branded Content for the LA Football Club. So if you're a soccer fan, this one's for you. And this is Being Brown in LA. Welcome back, guys, to the show. This is Being Brown LA. I'm Drew Brias, and today I have with me Marcus. Marcus, introduce yourself. Uh, my name is Marcus McDougald, and I'm the VP of Creative and Branded Content at LAFC, and I live in Long Beach. There we go. Okay. So Marcus is, uh, when I first met Marcus, of course, he was the uh, creative director for LAFC. If you guys don't know what LAFC is, you've been living under a rock. It is the LA Football Club. And how long have you guys been around? Uh, so we actually were announced on October 30th of 2014, and we kicked off uh, in March of 2018. So just a few years. Nice, 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 nice. And since then, uh, you have gone mega, mega popular. I know the stadium is a work of art. I know that the community outreach and the groups that belong to the LAFC that have been working with the LAFC are massive now. And uh, also your social programs with uh, kids and soccer. I've seen that also kicked out as well. But what do you think is the popularity of LAFC? Well, you know, I think a, a big part of it is just uh, is the timing. Um, you know, I think people were, were ready for uh, a team in L.A. that was sort of really embracing a bit of a new model. Um, and then I think it was really the fact that we really just opened our doors and, and really invited people in to participate with us. You know, a big part of what we wanted uh, was to people people to really invest their time and energy into creating the club that they wanted. And so a big part of it was really just kind of building the sandbox and getting out of the way. I feel like, uh, you know, with other teams, there's, there's always this outreach where they say, come and party with us. But with you guys, you guys specifically went out there and try to get the community involved in the soccer team and make it LA's soccer team. Yeah, you know, I mean, again, I think that right now there's, you know, people are so used to, you know, we live in a society where people are used to this kind of notion of read-write culture, right? And read-write versus read culture. Back in the day, you would watch, you basically consume all your culture um, and it was all created for you. But now we're all on social media. We're all content creators. We're all you know, actively, you know, uh, social in a digital space, a big thing for us was, well, well, can we leverage these platforms to actually get us to be active in social in a physical space? Um, now, obviously, given what's going on, that, that's tricky. So we're still trying to kind of maintain the energy digitally. But, uh, you know, it's been it's been a good challenge and really a test to the core of our principles. So. That's great. That's great. And I, and I think it's paid off. I feel like Social media itself has been such a bonding glue to all this layers and layers of what LASC is. One, of course, you guys have amazing players. Two is the branding is very, very clean and very sort of direct. We know who we're rooting for. We know what LA is about. We know what the football team is doing. But just the way that you guys engage it, you know, the podcasting, the, the video stuff, you know, your social media side is really well. And even when you get there, there's so much push to like, be part of this team and it's very welcoming that I think it makes people excited which leads me to my question 
you know, how is it, how is it that you got into this? What is your background? Yeah, so um, before it's kind of you know bounced all over the place. That the, the phrase you know jack of all trades, master of none, I think definitely applies applies to me. Um, before LAFC, I, I spent some time working at YouTube at YouTube Space LA. Um, I was a hired consultant that uh, basically built out educational programs, um, teaching people how to really raise their their branding, uh, the quality of their branding as well as the quality of their production. So. Uh, before that, I was working at, uh, at Red Digital Cinema, uh, teaching courses as well, uh, part of their education program, uh, as well as uh, uh, working as a, as a freelance uh, director and cinematographer, uh, really through the tail end of those last two jobs. So, um, yeah, I cut my teeth on, on quite a few things and, and uh, was primarily in the video space. So, uh, you know, when LAFC came about, you know, I really saw. I was excited because I'm a you know football fan through and through. Um, you know, I've gone to World Cup. I've traveled the world to catch games in in, in almost every continent. Um, and I grew up playing club soccer, so was on a traveling team. And I just saw this opportunity. Really, after the World Cup, I was in Brazil with some friends, and uh, after the World Cup in 2014, I just saw this this crazy ecosystem of football. It's like, dude, the people are making a living here. Like, how do I figure out how to get that job? And sort of serendipitously in October 30th of that year, uh, the team was announced. So um, I actually happened to have a friend who I was in Brazil with uh, was one of the first hires uh, at LAFC, Patrick Avilas. And uh, when they were looking for a brand guy, uh, he knew I could help tell uh, tell that story for the club, craft it. So that's great. I uh, reach, reached out and yeah, I, I haven't looked back. <laughs> that's great what is uh where'd you go to school uh so uh i went to columbia in uh in chicago oh nice uh-huh. studied cinematography and black world studies oh great um yeah yeah so what what is it you know and this is a question that i that i use for most people that i interview to show mainly brown people but i'm reaching out across the aisles now to everybody including everybody of color in here um but yeah. um what do you identify yourself as? Uh, I'm a black American. And, yep. and you're native of L.A.? Uh, I was actually born in Oxnard. Oh, wow. So, yeah, but, yeah, but basically, uh, you know, grew up a family in, in uh, Echo Park in, nice. in South Los Angeles. So on the weekends and family events, it was definitely. Okay. Yeah, definitely I, I spent a lot of weekends on Echo Park as well, too. I had a godfather there. Um, so you and Anderson Peck, of course, come from the Oxnard area. Uh, yeah, if you guys haven't been to Oxnard, um, it's in between, I guess I would say in between what Ventura and uh, Santa Barbara. Yeah, you know, it's between Ventura and Camarillo. Oh. Um, but then it, depending on how you stretch it, you could say Ventura and Malibu. There you go. Yeah. There you go. So it's, yeah. it's kind yeah. of a beach city, but not exactly right. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Oh, there's definitely, there's definitely some beach, uh, some beach property. There you go. Uh, it's a small stretch. Yeah. So how is it to be a black man? in this industry because you you named a lot of places that i know of red studios youtube and um i know for a fact that there's not a lot of people of color in these places so you might be the unicorn you also might be a trendsetter which is great and thank you for you know helping us get there too but how does how does that work how do you go from youtube and red and then lafc 
Yeah, well, I mean, as far as being, you know, sort of a person of color in these spaces, um, you oftentimes are a bit of an anomaly, um, which, uh, you know, throughout my life, I, I've definitely lived in places where I was a bit of an anomaly. And the, and the challenge there is really oftentimes you are in some spaces that, you know, the one black person or person of color people know. Right. And so you're really sort of expected to carry you know, there's a lot of weight in sort of being the, the ideal or the representative of, of, a, of a culture and a people. So I know what that feels um, like too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think it's, I think it's challenging. Um, it's, you know, a lot easier in LA than say other places I've lived. Um, but, but even then, especially when you get in the rooms and you start to get into the boardrooms and, you know, you're around a table with, you know, 15, 20 people and, and you're the only person of color, it's, uh, it's uh there's there's some weight to it um i think you ha you have to by nature you know not by nature it's not natural but i think you have to basically work twice as hard yeah um as 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 non non-bipoc so uh it's it's a challenge it's, it's hard when when you know you want to be at the meeting you want to be at the table i guess the way it's said and uh, it was funny because I was, I just, over the weekend, everybody, of course, everybody and you and myself and probably saw the Hamilton stuff on Disney Plus. And um, there was that one song where they were like, I want to be at those meetings or I want to be at the table. Yeah. So it's like, yeah, we want to be at the meetings. We want to be at the table. Yeah. And the, the whole consciousness of having people say, you know, be responsible when you're on set. And if you don't have people that look like you on set, then you have to make that change. Um, yeah. And I think for franchise sports, it's harder because usually you have, you know, your black players and, and your thoroughbreds, as, as some people call it. And those are the those are the examples of, you know, color and people of color in franchise sports. But in the meeting rooms, there's less and less and less of that. So for someone like you to be a creative director and now the VP of marketing and branding is a huge deal. Um, and I know that probably puts a lot of pressure on you because, like you said, work twice as hard. What do you think the pitfalls of that could be as well, though? Uh, you know, I guess I never really thought about the pitfalls. It's, it's um, you know, I experience them probably more than I think about them. Yeah. You know, it's uh, there's there's plenty of moments, uh, you know, we, we all, all, all people of color experience, as we call them, microaggressions, right? Yes. Um, but I think in the challenge is the opportunity, right? So like even in a time like now where there is a level of expectation for, uh, as me being one of the highest executive people of color in my organization to really step up to the plate yeah. and to have a perspective, I think that that challenge um, is an opportunity. You know, I, I sort of have to suss through my, you know, work through my, my feelings a bit quicker yeah. maybe than others and move on to strategy yes. um, in order to really leverage the opportunity to champion some of the initiatives that I believe um, we need to be pushing forward as an organization. So um, it's funny that you yeah. say you, you strategize, like, you know, most people would react and have these emotional feelings to dealing with these things. And I always feel like, when we have these conversations, when these microaggressions happen, uh, it is a great time to use it as a learning tool. 
where you know you have to correct people in certain ways or you have to just say look let's learn about each other and this is one of the reasons why i did this podcast because you know it wasn't geared so much to people of color it was geared to people who don't know us and want to mm-hmm. get to know us and and i want people to understand that you know not all brown people are the same uh yep. some of us are also brown and afro so afro latinos mm-hmm. exist I also want people to understand that we have all colors in the Latino basis. We have people that pass as white, and that's mm-hmm. okay. And that we have people that don't look Latino at all, look just black, and that's okay too. And we don't yeah. all eat the same stuff. We're not all the same way. We don't all dress the same. We're all sort of mm-hmm. different in our own thing. But dealing with these microaggressions, some of us do deal with them differently. I've had to tell people not to touch my hair. Mm-hmm. a couple times yeah. and yeah as you and me yeah. both know our hair oh, is yeah. not the most tameable thing and sometimes <laughs> it's interesting to certain people who have never seen hair like ours yeah uh and you know i've I, had it i can't tell you how many times i've had to tell people yeah like, yeah yeah they're like i know you're fascinated by it but it's not and it's an like and, and yeah. i have to sometimes explain to people is like it's nappy it's okay it's curly yeah. it's wild but it shouldn't make you afraid, but it also yeah. doesn't give you the right to put your hands on my hair. That's yeah. kind of yeah. crazy, you know? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and so, like, I, I just, th- those are the, the moments where I have to teach people certain things. Or when people say, oh, were you born in this country? And I say, were you born in this country? You know, and I have to tell yeah. them that. So, and then yeah. they, they look at me shocked, and I'm like, exactly. That's how I feel when you ask me questions like that. And I yeah. don't let people, you know, I don't want to offend people. I want them to learn from it. And I don't respond to them with anger because that's the wrong way to do it. I just correct them, you know, or someone, yeah. someone said, oh, you don't look like a Drew. And I said, why? Because I'm brown. Yeah, and they were like, oh, no, that's not what I meant. And I'm like, no, no, don't get offended. You know, Andrew yeah, gets split yeah. into Drew. William gets split into Bill. That's what happens. And yeah. most of my friends just call me Drew. So I haven't heard my full name in a long time. Even my mother doesn't call me that anymore. Yeah. So, yeah, I am a Drew. And it's okay. Yeah. It's okay to be a brown man and be Drew. Yeah, but you know what? You know what, though? I mean, the way that you frame that is you're handling it fairly gracefully. There's a lot of strategy there, yeah. right? I mean, because you could react emotionally, right? But you know... I don't that think that'll benefit us. Exactly. Not just me, but us in general. I don't yeah. think it'll benefit us to for me to be like, oh, you know, this and that. Because I just want them to learn. And if I come at yeah. them with aggression after they've come with me with aggression, it doesn't... We, nobody wins. And, yep. you know, I used to teach kids art. And so I handle people like that as children where mm. they may have not known something and not to be disrespectful, but like, you know, children sometimes don't know things and they're always open to new things. Mm-hmm. And I want to treat people like that, like be open to something new. Like, yeah. hey, I'm a brown person, but guess what? I'm not like that. You know, I, I remember being on set and <laughs> ironically, we were dealing with a red camera and we were doing the lighting and someone came up to me and said something and then I told them, you know, oh yeah, I went to, when I was at Art Center, we, you know, we had a guy who was filming on red. And the guy looked at me and he didn't work with us. He worked with the studios and I won't name the studio. But he looked at me so surprised and he goes, oh, you went to Art Center? And then he said, oh, but you know, you got all these tattoos and you look, you know, you look like a tough guy from the streets of LA, <laughs> you know, like, I, I'm just, just crazy that you went, you know, like you went to the school and, and I was like, what? What does yeah. that even mean? Like, yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> and and you know, and like, and then my boss just kind of looked at him, and he was like, he he just was like, hey man, um, can you just go away? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know, made him yeah. go do something. But I was just thinking in my head, like, what? You know, and I've had that yeah. before. 
my appearance oh, yeah. somehow relates to my education or who I am or what I do or what I know. Yeah. Which is so yeah. weird. Yeah. But yeah. it happens constantly. Yeah. Well, I think there's this, um, in, to that particular instance, I think there is this, um, this issue of um, even seemingly like, you know, uh, you know, people saying things that they don't necessarily understand the complexity of what they're assuming is, you know, this notion of achievement gap, right? And this notion that, oh, like, well, so how do you go to Art Center? How did, how did you manage to, you know, like, you're not what I would assume the typical person. And that's all based on Appearance. them lim limiting your level of achievement. It's, it's just, it's so narrow-minded. You yeah. know, and it was funny, like, I just found this feed in, on Instagram, which is, uh, social media is a curse, but it also helps unite people in some ways. Yeah. I found this feed on, on Instagram about, you know, Race's Art Center, and it was where I went to school, and, and how, like, sometimes things happen there where uh, people don't notice, even though the school is changing and it's all art, that they're, you know, just constantly microaggressing people of color hmm. and I remember when I went to art center that I could count how many black people were at that school and it was funny That's too because I would wave at people and say hi to them and a lot of them were just like you know one track mind like I'm just here to go to school I don't want to yeah. you know yeah and I can feel the fear <laughs> of that because I was thinking like man maybe yeah. somebody just said some effed up things to them and then now yeah. they're like afraid of, here's another brown person it's like if they see too yeah. many brown people together you know uh, they might think I'm that somebody else that's probably a code violation yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And, yeah. and I know that a lot of people, a lot of us, you know, including, you know, yourself, we code switch. We do this thing where we know yeah. how to talk in certain places and we know how to act in certain places. But it's like, you know, this is who I am. And it's like, I can't, I'm like this thing where I can't hide myself. I have to just yeah. be myself. And I learned this yeah. from friends. They always, always be you. Um, and then thinking about it, like in your industry, being at these meetings and sometimes having to hear you know, shit that you probably yeah, anywhere else in the street, you would be like checking people for it. Yeah. But you have to deal with this thing. You know, you, you have to be able to like correct people and let them know that you're just like that. I had a, a man ask me once at work, you know, what little town I was born in. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I was born. It's, 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 it's this little town. It's up against a mountain called Westwood. Yeah. And he was so confused when I said that to him because he stopped and he yeah. like, didn't say anything else. And I was like, yeah, you know where UCLA is at? Like I was born at the UCLA hospital. So it's like tucked in right into that mountain. <laughs> I don't know if it's a small town, but it's right there. But the 405. And his face just dropped. And I think whoever he was with was like, let's go. That's you're, amazing. You're an idiot. Yeah. That's so yeah. good. Because oh, he started with like, man. oh, your English is very good. Yeah. Oh, my God. Tiny little mountain town. Yeah, so it's, yeah, it's, a little, it's a little town. It's just like nudgled in there in that mountain oh. next to the freeway. Yeah. Oh, jerk. God. Yeah, so bad. And, and this also leads me to think like, you know, you are a parent and you have a daughter. It's mm -hmm. a beautiful child. I saw the pictures. Um, <laughs> how do we, you know, like, what do we think about that future for them? Because, you know, we're, you're going through this and, you know, yeah. I'm going through it as well. And, and sometimes we have to deal with these things like, what do we expect for our, you know, siblings or our, our children or our family in the future? Well, I think uh, I think we have to expect what we we build for them, right? If we don't, you know, literally exact change 
in this new generation right now, then um, we can expect a lot more of the same. Um, my biggest concern of recent is that, um, you know, the conversation right now is very, very topical, you know. Um, and my, my concern is that as we as it becomes less topical, um, people get comfortable with this notion that, um, you know, the, the, a racist is someone you can see from a distance. You know, a racist is someone who does something so clearly um, objectionable that, you know, uh, uh, that, that they know for themselves that they're not racist. Right. That the other people say, oh, no, but that's that's that person over there is a racist. Yeah. Um, the reason that concerns me is that I think ultimately that racism is is an extremely uh, it's a spectrum. You know, it's a fairly uh, broad spectrum. And I think in order for us to really change uh as a country as a society there needs to be a bit of a an awakening period a bit of a paradigm shift where um it's not and look i'm glad to see the statues fall but it's not necessarily about knocking down statues of people who were um you know basically you know like overt racists right they were slaveholders they were you know, biological racists, they actually thought that there was genetic differences, right? Like, it's very obvious for us to say that's wrong. Yeah. But there are people who are a bit more sort of um, culturally racist or, you know, uh, a a bit more sort of behaviorally racist, subtly racist. Yeah. And and I don't even like the word racist because it sounds like a light switch function. Yeah. It's like you might have behaviors that are that are you know um you know racial tendencies yeah um i hope that that we can really challenge people to look in the mirror and to evaluate their own uh ways of seeing the world um, and that people are comfortable with that because until we're willing to have the uncomfortable conversations we can't we're not and we can't move on and that was the thing it's like this is why the podcast was was you know, structured this way that I said, I'm having conversations with people. And this is not a podcast where we're going to preach at you or whatever. Mm-hmm. We're just having conversations. So you get to know us and you get to know who we are. And a lot of people, um, you know, have this thing where it's like, it's black or white. Mm-hmm. And it's not. And, you know, we're all biased in some ways towards certain people or certain things. And how we deal with those on a regular basis, you know, makes a huge difference. You know, Walking down the street and seeing a black man in a car in front of a house doesn't mean that man's going to rob it. Maybe mm-hmm. that's his house. And maybe I should just mind my own fucking business <laughs> and deal with it that way. Yeah. Uh, you know, or going to work and saying something. And it's the same thing, not just color-wise. It's a great time to be alive because we're seeing all the changes. It's also, yeah. you know, having to deal with, you know, women in, in a certain way. We're like, 100%. we don't get away with saying shit to women anymore that we should have never been saying. And yeah. we should treat women like human beings and not like another gender that, you know, we have to be settled with them and we have to treat them a certain way. No, we just treat them like human beings. How would I like to yeah. be treated? That's the same way we do it. And yeah. then also the, you know, the new alarming trend where like trans women are getting killed, trans black women yeah. are getting killed by the numbers. And just yeah. in the last week, there's seven women that died. And mm. we need to address that. Not only white people need to address that, because you know we have white al- allies that are, you know, being part of it as well. But we also yeah. need to 
address it in the Latino community and the black mm -hmm. community because we yeah. haven't paid attention to that. You know, sure. there is a different way that black men deal with trans women and there's a different way that Latinos deal with trans women. So it's like, yeah, we have to fix those. And those are problems that innately came from us. So, yeah, you know, it's not a racist thing. It, racism does have a lot to do with there, there's these biases that we have built in that we need to weed out and purge. Yeah, completely. 100 percent. Yeah. You know, there are even biases within the LGBTQ community. I mean, this this notion of actually sort of bringing light to the the conversations about you know the you know the black trans movement or trans movement in general. Yeah, um, is is a fairly contemporary one, right? It's um it's it, it's uh, not been something that has been you know sort of highly championed um, you know uh, by the, the gay pride movement forever, and so I, I think now to see that this, that people are shining a light on that it, it's just a huge opportunity i think especially for us people as color to find a level of solidarity in that and really be allies for that movement as well so. definitely definitely i mean it, it started you know in certain ways with like you know i've heard trans women black trans women say that they're at the bottom you know yeah. if gay yeah. men can't get certain rights definitely no one's going to care about trans women because they're yeah. at the bottom of the totem pole, you know, before anybody gets any rights. And, and they have the hardest job because they, you know, want to have a regular job and they want to do the same things that we're doing. And, you know, it's easy for a gay man to pass in some ways. In some ways it's not. I'm not speaking for the gay community at all, but I'm saying, like, you know, I've heard friends say it's easy for a gay man to pass than it is for a trans woman to pass. And it's, it's hard to live that kind of life. And, you know, they're out there, they're exposed, they're getting murdered, and sometimes people don't care. Yeah. And, you know, they're losing housing, they don't have a way to feed themselves. So it's like, it's very important that not only we deal with all these issues, but we look upon ourselves and deal with the issues too, you know. But, yeah. you know, men have been, in our culture, we have had, you know, trans entertainers, and that's fun, and that's great, and we go see the mm. shows, but mm -hmm. trans people in our lives are not accepted as much. Yeah, and it's and it's really hard because you know I've had trans friends be very very quiet about certain things, and they mm. are always on guard and they're always looking out, and it's it would to me would be so hard to always be, you know, looking behind my back, yeah. and that's not a way to live. And I think that if yeah. we can't build security for them, then how do we expect security for us? Yeah, you know? yeah. Yeah, no, no, I think I think it's a great point. I think, um, you know, the, 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 the glue that binds these movements together is empathy um, and, and the ability for us to really understand that our our movements can be different and they don't have to one doesn't have to take precedence over another um, and that there are intersectionalities that really should cause us to champion each other's uh, efforts and, and really come together in solidarity. So let me let me skip sideways now and go to sports. Mm -hmm. How how do you think sports have helped with sort of, you know, uniting different colors? Because I know that for a fact, soccer has been one of the most mixed of all. You know, you have the whole world playing soccer and, uh, you know, you know, except America, who doesn't get how important soccer is everywhere around the world. You have 
teams. We're slowly. Yeah, they're slowly up. catching yeah. up. And I think that, like, you know, in South America, of course, it's a big deal. But you have, you know, black, white, Asian players all together. You have people from mm-hmm. Peru and Chile playing and, you know, the Euro Leagues. And you got all the Brazilians that have been taken away and, you know, taken to the European Leagues as well. Yeah. it's There's still some kind of racism and bias in soccer. Mm-hmm. But oh, yeah. how, you know, how is it? How does soccer change, and how has it changed with players coming from all over the world, even the Middle East nowadays? Yeah, well, I don't know. You know, I I didn't play professionally, so it's very hard for me to really know how it's changed. um, Say over the say the past you know ten years, you know, a couple of decades. Um, But I think some of the you know some of the globalization of soccer has actually caused. some areas of the world that might might have been a bit more nationalistic um to calm down or at least to really show their colors and and that's now been been a point of contention so i think you see that a lot in you know the epl i think you see that in the syria and italy um where you know you've got these extremely diverse and more and more you know diverse um you know more more and more shades on the field and yet there's still these, um, you know, pretty, you know, these ultra groups, these these pretty hardcore, um, you know, uh, hooli groups that that um, really favor their ethnicity and, and, and uh, their color. And um, fortunately, I think a lot of these leagues are taking a hard line stance on that. And um, they just got to really call it out when we see it and, and uh, you know, make sure those people aren't allowed back in the stadium. Um, you know, a, a football match should be, in any city, should be a reflection of the city, a reflection of the values of the city and the diversity of the city. And so creating a space that is safe for people to all, people of all walks to, to enter and feel um, like they can be a part of something bigger than themselves is the ultimate goal. And there's, there's just no room for, for racism, uh, sexism, you know, um, any sort of prejudice. Uh, in the game so we're, we're trying to stamp it out you know i i saw uh when uh, rolandinho from brazil got taken to the european leagues i saw people mocking him and, and yeah you know yelling out when he was playing but he was still one of the best players in the team uh and then chicharito ended up going to um was it man manchester united he went to united yeah yeah and people couldn't say his name but they loved him when he was playing out there so i feel like yeah from Rolandinho to Chicharito things have changed just a bit but at least he's yeah. accepted they can't still pronounce his name but they can yep. still like they love him as, as a player um, what can you I don't know if you know what are the countries that you guys have in your team right now our our countries who we've got represented man it's a, it's a mix um, everything from obviously we've got a couple of US representatives Mexico Canada um uh el salvador no sorry a salvadorian player left um ecuador uh colombia um uruguay uh all over man it's really you got any middle eastern players uh no we actually so we have um one guy who is algerian oh yeah okay yeah yeah so not not quite far uh that far east but yeah all right, all right. Yeah. So you, you're, it's yeah. getting there. It's getting there. It's getting there. It's yeah. getting there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, 
So let's talk about, since I know that you're from L.A., and I wanted to kind of get to one of the hot topics of L.A. Um, you are been in Long Beach how long? Uh, Beach for almost seven years. Seven years, okay. Yeah. And do you own or rent? Uh, rent, yeah. Okay. So how, how is, especially Long Beach, how has gentrification sort of, you know, affected your life down there? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean... In some ways, I might be a part of the gentrification, really, if I think about, you know, what my neighborhood may have been, say, 10 years ago. Um, I might, might be a contributor to that. But I think, um, you know, I've definitely seen the neighborhood change over, over the past, uh, you know, six, six seven years. Um, uh, you know, uh, it's interesting as this COVID window started popping off, I had a feeling that in, in some ways the, the clock was going to, you know, wind back a little bit. <laughs> with everything that's going on um but yeah you know i've lived i've lived in in, in places around the country and, and seen the effects of gentrification i actually lived in a neighborhood in chicago called pilsen on the south side it's a you know uh, right now at least in say probably the past 40 50 years has been a predominantly mexican neighborhood and uh before that it was a jewish neighborhood uh hence the name and um and yeah, I just remember there having conversations with people because, you know, I lived, I, you know, afforded a loft that had popped up that was an old factory that they had converted. And, you know, I would go down and, you know, as I walked out my building on the wall, it was like, you know, there's like, uh, you know, you know, scrawlings of, you know, don't gentrify in my neighborhood, etc. And I'd have conversations with locals about it just to kind of better understand how we really translate what that means, like where the... Is it, is it is it sort of this economic displacement where people are basically you know forced out um, of the, the neighborhoods that they grew in you know grew up in is a part of it um, maybe even sort of a lack of contribution locally by the people who are now moving in um, yeah it's interesting I think it's a complex subject and I, I I definitely owe it to learn more about sort of the nuances of the conversation but i mean what what are your thoughts on what you, you know see? i i grew up in la in you know in midtown oh wow and, that's uh, changed so on, much you know, like yeah and pico and crenshaw and stuff like that and then you know i lived in almost every area i lived in venice i lived in long beach i lived in um you know k-town um and you know when i was you know, when I was a little kid, I know my mom and I lived in K-Town before it was K-Town. It was still considered downtown L.A. Um, and then, you know, I lived in Hollywood. I lived in Echo Park for a while. And now I'm in Highland Park. And, you know, it was funny to, like, talk to the people in the neighborhood and say, you know, we, you know, for a long time, we would never see black people in, in Highland Park. Yeah. And, uh, you know, they, you know, if somebody saw them right away, they were chased out or no, nobody who was black lived here. Sure. And then, you know, when I first moved here, you know, people across the street were saying, like, yeah, you know, the neighborhood's really nice, but it's just getting bought out, and, you know, white people are just coming in, and, and it's okay if they want to live here with us, but they have to remember they live here with us. Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. so, yeah, the conversation, again, started of when people come here, they don't contribute to the neighborhood. They sort of, you know, complain about this and complain yeah. about that. And so it's like... You know, living in this neighborhood, you know what you're going to get into. Yeah. If you want to have cheap rent, then you kind of deal with it. But, you know, I think that for the most part in Highland Park, I've seen a lot of great change where people say hello to each other. Mm -hmm. And a lot of 
my white neighbors will shop at you know the local markets because they want to support good and they kind of love this idea of having you know these vendors and they like the lote man where yeah i remember in echo park there was already a problem yeah yeah you know my white neighbors would never say hello yeah i walk by and i wave and they wouldn't they would just look away they're like if i look away the (laughs) brown man would leave (laughs) 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 he won't see me yeah they're like this is an echo park this is angelino heights (laughs) yeah so it was you know it was like like if i was a ghost like you know if i don't look at it and i don't believe it's not real Uh, and it's crazy because like echo park is such a mexican neighborhood i mean smack in the bottom of dodger stadium which is the remnants of the chavez ravine chavez ravine yeah yeah. Chavez Ravine is where people used to live. Yeah. You know? Yeah. yeah. And, and before the Brooklyn Dodgers came down and became our beautiful LA Dodgers, yeah. You know, there was a whole neighborhood there. Totally. There was Mexican families and Central American families, from what I've been researching, I know now. Mm-hmm. And they were all living there. And, you know, this whole expansion, we're going to build this freeway, we're going to, you know, take this space and this neighborhood. You know, there's just Mexicans in there. Yeah. And, you know, yeah. and reading the newspapers and, and reading a lot of the articles where they were saying, oh, they're degenerates and they're living in squalor and, you know, like in shant, you know, it's like shantytown in there. Yeah. Like, let's yeah. save them. Let's save these poor Mexicans and get them Ugh. out of that hole. And, you know, what the reality was like, we want a cheap property. We want to mm-hmm. kick all these people out because no one's going to help them. And we're going to build this beautiful stadium there. And so living in Echo Park, knowing the history of that and then having people act like, I don't belong there, yeah. <laughs> which is like, you know, I've been, you know, I've been spending weekends at, at Echo Park since I was, you know, seven years old. Yeah. And I, you know, I remember not going out at seven o'clock at night. And now, you know, people are walking their dogs at midnight and, mm-hmm. you know, having coffee in places where people would have fights in, you know, it's just the like coffee the shop is one of the key symbols of a neighborhood changing. When the coffee shop goes up, you know that's it yeah no, that's, that's it. it yeah it's fu- it's funny too because like when i was leaving echo park and i was still living there the little by little mexican markets were closing down mm. and so you know we started to notice the trend and then when mexican restaurant that was really good closed down and then one of the markets closed down and then that's when i knew it's like oh, okay echo park is disneyland mm. and mm-hmm. it's just like you know and you know mm-hmm. some things are coming back there's you know there's bar florist which is uh, you know, run by a Mexican woman. It's a very, you know, traditional Mexican bar. And I, and I love that they did that. But it, of course, it's not fully owned by a Mexican. But, you know, little steps, little steps. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, I appreciate at least the gesture of it and the recognition that, you know, there's a community that was already there and it's still there. Yeah. Um, Highland Park is a bit of a, of a conundrum. I think that here in this neighborhood, I am the gentrifier. Mm-hmm. I came here and paid more for a place that people were paying less for before. Mm-hmm. But I know my neighborhood and I accept it and I know where it's at. And, you know, walking through it, there is a huge divide. You know, you know, Mexican community lives at the lower end and up in the mountains or, you know, the more affluent community. And, and it happens. And, and it's like sometimes you'll see people in great houses that are Latino or Mexican, but it's rare. And I feel like there is a possibility of this neighborhood getting lost. Mm. and becoming an echo park but there's mm-hmm. also a big movement here for resisting that and staying here yeah so i so i don't know what the future has for this neighborhood because i am a gentrifier i am somebody who moved in here sure but at the same time i love this neighborhood so i do love that there's p- 
people accepting the markets and going and shopping and contributing to the welfare of a lot of the restaurants here that are, you know, Mexican owned. The only thing is that I feel that there's less, there's not a lot of black people in, in Highland Park. And yeah. I, think, I see some neighbors and they're coming, but I don't think there's a lot. And I think that this neighborhood would benefit from having a lot of different people of color. Yeah. Yeah. Because then it would be a strong neighborhood. Um, but little by little. Yeah. You know, I think, I think, you know, you said something that I, I sort of take as being a really important part. And I'm sure there's someone who is a lot smarter than me who could maybe even, you know, tell me otherwise. But I, I think the, uh, the willingness to listen and the willingness to contribute, I think, are good sort of combats against your own contribution to the problem, you know? Um, you know, uh, shopping locals, you know, investing your money locally is a v- very big part of it. Um, you know, uh, you know, having that level, that respect level, it's interesting. It's a weird analogy, but I think like, I surf quite a bit. And, and I think about when I surf breaks that I, I haven't spent years at, um, when I get in the water, I'm very respectful. You know, some people don't deserve respect, but I still always am respectful if I'm in a different, you know, if I'm surfing a different break. Um, just, you know, if some if other people are going for the waves first, then I, you know, I'll back off and eventually I'll get my wave. But it's about at least rolling up, being mindful of the locals and, um, you know, not just trying to come in, take over and, and change things the way that you want them. But know that people have been invested there for a long time. So, um, yeah, I think that's a great analogy. I mean, you know, coming into this neighborhood, getting to know people. And it's, this is the same way that I sort of you know attribute a lot of my philosophy in life is that always make friends with people who you're sort of living or in a situation with so you mm. can sort of just be okay you know when i went to art center i i made friends with the people in the cafeteria the security guards mm. people that worked there and i was nice and respectful to all of them because you know not only were they doing all the shit work yeah. but they were also the people that make that the backbone that make that place move and yeah and it benefited me tremendously just tremendously just to like be friends and be kind to these people treat them like human beings like you should always treat anybody but here like i you know i try to like go places and meet people and shop local and and strengthen this community because i feel like it needs it and the more that i do like i'll get to know somebody and they'll say oh you know there used to be this over there and there used to be that over there and it's like it it starts to explain a lot of the history because i had no idea that you know black people weren't allowed in this neighborhood before i, I, didn't mm. I thought mm-hmm. oh this is a great neighborhood they accept everybody yeah Wrong. was it yeah. was it redlined it wasn't redlined it was just more so if you tried to move in you weren't you it, were. it wasn't so much of like not moving in but it was a lot of like this used to be a, a very controlled gang area mm. yeah and yeah. from what i heard is there was a lot of you know, gangsters would just, you know, mobilize and try to get people out. Gotcha. You don't belong here. Yeah. And, yeah. And, and so I get trying to save the community and trying to, like, not allow crime to happen, but that's what some gangs really started as. To, sure. You know, control violence from hitting the people. But yeah. I feel like a lot of times it's just, like, biases, too. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so, you know, if I was black, I don't know if I would feel comfortable here. Sure. And so that's a that's a big deal. Like yeah. you, if you're a community that has people of color, then you should accept any people of color coming in. Yeah. And if one person of color, Asian, Black, you know, Middle Eastern, doesn't feel safe in the area. Yeah. Then yeah, you you that there's a problem there. Yeah. And I think that a lot of times, 
what politicians or people try to do is they pin all the poor people against each other. Mm-hmm. So they don't pay attention yep. to the main things. The main just things imagine. Just yeah. imagine. If, we were if you all got everybody yeah. together, that's the smart way to do it. If you yeah. got everybody together, they wouldn't be fooled. Yeah. And we would be able to fight the real enemy and the yeah. real evil. Yeah. And th- it's not again, you know, like even these poor white people that are out there supporting Trump, like Trump doesn't give a shit about No. Them. He doesn't no. care about them. It's about he, power. He wants them to keep giving him power and for them to be fooled and not pay attention that he's robbing them blind. Yeah. He's taking money from them, from their health care, from their retirement, and putting it into stupid things. I mean, he spent yeah. so much money on this wall, which I just read today. The wall is falling apart and falling into the Rio Grande. Yeah. You built this Lamborghini, quote unquote, Lamborghini wall, and now it's falling into the river. It's such a joke. You know, you should have had Mexicans build it for you. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. If you would have paid the Mexicans to build it for you, they would have made yep. it strong. Yeah. Oh, but you went man. with the racist contractor and you went yep. with some dummies and yep. now it's falling. That's uh, like, that is the epitome, of, the epitome. This, of this presidential, yeah. uh, you know, structure. I don't, I don't even know if he's a president, but I, I just, you know, whatever this figurehead is. Sure. This is this is an example of him. This wall that he built, that he spent so much money on, took money from poor people. Now it's falling apart. Disintegrating. I mean, he's yeah. spending so much money on playing golf, which he could have he could have wrote more checks for people. Yeah. You know, there's yeah. people that are going to be homeless in the coming months. Mm-hmm. And he's playing golf and he's yeah. spending that money. Yeah. And I think that it's just like having to think about this neighborhood and having to think about the changes here. You know, I was so proud to go to these mo- protests. You know. You know, ri- at the same time nervous because of COVID, you know, mm-hmm. proud to see the protests in Highland Park and see all these different people and these young white allies. Yeah. And these millennials, man, these millennials that we all made fun of and said things about. Right. Apathetic, blah, they, blah, blah. Yeah. yeah they yeah. have no effing fear, man. These yeah. Millennials have no fear. Yeah. And they don't just get one person. They get everybody. And yeah. They yell and they say things and they're there and they show up. Yep. And, you know, if anything, these millennials are going to start turning the age of voting age and they're going to just start making changes. But yeah. I hope that it yeah. continues. I mean, there's a lot of work for us to do. I mean, as as a person of color, I always tell people, stop asking black people what you should do. Start mm-hmm. researching it, you know, mm-hmm. start looking it up. There's so many things we can do. There's so many books, you know, White Fragility is a great book. Great book. By Robin DiAngelo. Uh, yeah. How to be an anti-racist. Yes. That's a great book too. It's reading little, that right, right, reading it right now. Yeah, it's a little yeah. hard, to, you know. But he also he also wrote beyond uh, how to be an anti-racist. He also wrote uh, Snapped, which is a great book about you know systematic school systems and all that. You got okay. you guys got to check it out. The, okay. He does a lot of great work. Um, I think it's Ibram Kendi, right? Yeah, so, Kendi yeah. Kendi yeah. wrote that as well. Yeah. I mean, it's on Amazon's list. It's on everything. Nowadays, it's really simple. If people have questions on how they can help, I think that you need to just get online and start looking at these things because a lot of these things are not that hard to find. And asking somebody of color how you can help is kind of just not doing the work yourself. Yeah. You have to yeah. learn this on your own. And But the second thing that I feel that we should do is just like this. We have to have the conversations, you know. Just like we talked about gentrification, just like we talked about microaggressions, we got to talk to our families. You know, mm-hmm. in the Latino community, we have to talk to our parents and our uncles and our families to stop making, you know, anti-black comments. Yeah. And yeah. to stop believing Univision and Telemundo 
that are spewing lies because, of course, they're not owned by Latinos. They're owned by corporations, and they don't care. Corporations mm. only see one color, and that's green. Yeah. So we have to put it, the attention to it say, hey, you know what? These protests are not just looters. There's looters, and then there's protests. That's two different things. Yeah. Uh, trans people are not strangers or weirdos or, you know, child yeah. molesters. They're just people that are trying to live just like us. They're human beings. So a lot of that stuff, I think, is getting lost in the translation, and we need to have those uncomfortable but good conversations. Hey, yeah. uncle, you shouldn't say that stuff. That's unlawful. You know, I just had a, a thing where I had to talk to a client about, you know, small microaggressions that he had in one of the movies he was making. He, you know, it's, oh, it's a little dialogue, and I just want to make it real. And I said, you know, but it takes away from the point. Mm. So if, you, if you're trying to make something where people pay attention to another issue, don't add a layer of racism or anti-gay sentiment because you're not going to really get people to pay attention anymore. And it's that hard conversation where like, you want to support someone who's doing something great, but you need to have that really uncomfortable conversation. And I think people get confused. They think that because you're promoting one thing, you're saying, I don't like this other thing. And Black Lives Matter never became a thing about, uh, you know, white lives don't matter. That that was never the issue. Uh, Black Lives Matter, I think, matters is more like this diagram that I saw, which is like it's not a black hand going up; mm -hmm. it's all the hands going up. Yeah, yeah. When you allow one people to systematically get murdered, you're gonna affect all of us. Yeah, we're yeah. an ecosystem. Yeah, yeah. So we all have to survive. It really does. It really does affect all of us. I mean, ultimately, you know, anyone that thinks that this um, this movement is a detriment to their race is is wildly mistaken, because ultimately um, even white supremacy, you know, hurts white people. Um, yeah. You know, um, the support to your point of, uh, you know, the divisive uh, sort of uh, political structures um, really is, is used as a guise to, um, you know, keep corporations in, in the money and, and, and keep the people down. So, you know, ultimately, uh, you know, when we see a country whose middle class is falling out and, and, and we're not, you know, challenging ourselves to understand why, we, we, we've got to really come together and, and, and fight for each other's rights. And, um, you know, Black Lives Matter is, is ultimately a movement to say, hey, you know, um, I'm here. My life does matter. Uh, I do not feel safe. Um, it's not that I don't, you know, feel, you know, just feel safe in my own neighborhood, um, you know, by my own people. But it's we're talking about I don't say feel safe by people who are here to, quote unquote, protect and serve. Um, and so a reevaluation of obviously, you know, um, the, the measures that are taken to to police and to control but ultimately also the allocation of of the, the of the finances um, yeah i mean money is everything it's everything and it's like you know and now especially parents you know now they understand that you should pay teachers a shitload of money because a lot of these parents are having a hard time teaching their kids at home yeah so yeah. the importance of how much teachers should make should, came into light through the pandemic. And I always you know, yep. keep saying this pandemic has shone a light on things that we have been ignoring for a long time. Mm -hmm. you know, now we know where the races are at, but we also know that anybody can be a racist. Yep. 
you know, now we know that, you know, being clean is, is who would have thought that washing your hands <laughs> would prevent disease? Yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. it's like, it's like, these are things that, you know, no matter how much times you heard, you didn't pay attention to yeah. it. But now you're paying attention to it. Yeah. And now it's important, you know, the whole thing where like, you know, we've been ignoring our trans sisters and brothers. Mm -hmm. you know, we've been mm -hmm. ignoring a lot of other people. You know, there's children in cages. There's yeah. 3,000 kids missing. Damn. 3K. As, you know, people people that are Christian mm. out there, people that are parents out there, yeah. you should be livid that a child is in a cage, that they're not allowed to be touched, and that you should be livid that there's 3,000 kids lost. Mm. Where are these kids? And, you know, in a having this person in an administration that's being led by a pedophile I, I it's it's horrible to think where those kids are at mm. and i think those are the things that that have come to light yeah. you know and also my own thoughts on how it is you know how things are going like am i gonna let fear guide me am i gonna pay attention to where the money's going where's all this mm. money going you know uh, recently the president of goya foods you know went to see uh you know trump at the White House and said how we are so lucky to have a president. Oh, no. Oh. <laughs> and it's like, oh, man, you, this is the wrong time to make wow. allegiance with this idiot. So, of course, people are boycotting Goya food and everybody's like, oh, you know what? We can make beans yeah. at our house. We can Seriously. make our own adobo Damn. sauce. We can make our own yeah. sazon. Yeah, we don't need Goya foods anymore. And Goya foods was getting really yeah. popular. I remember that when I was yeah. a kid, but they weren't really that popular. Now, you know what? You can get beans from other 100%. companies. You can get, you can get, you know, adobo sauce from other companies. We don't yeah. need Goya. But the fact that this man knows what's going on, knows that he's, that he's agreeing with the man who said that Mexicans are rapists and murderers and drug dealers, you you shot yourself yeah. in the foot. Yeah, yeah. We nope. don't need your, we don't need your overpriced nope. beans. Nope, nope, nope. It's just it's just ridiculous. And to me, it's like you have to pay attention to. The things that he said you got to pay attention to stuff if he can pardon his weirdo friend who was his advisor who has committed crimes why isn't he not trying to find brianna taylor's yeah. murders yeah yeah We're, yeah why why is he not putting the finger and pressure on them saying hey go find these murders that killed brianna taylor we know who they are let's put him yeah. in jail but instead he's like hey i'm gonna pardon this longtime criminal who's been a criminal for a long time but he brings me a lot of money so I'm just going to let it's him go and not worry about these little people. This is the system that we're in. Individual incentive and a lack of empathy. It, it really, it's that simple. It's just, you know, people focusing on their own. Yeah. Yeah. It, everybody's doing that. Yeah. And I think as a parent, what do you think needs to be done or what do you hope for your daughter's future? Well, I think that. That's a loaded yeah, question. Yeah, I mean, they're two. Yeah, they're definitely. You know, what I hope, I, I, I hope for the best, and I hope for everything. You know, I want to give her everything. And being the first-time parent, like my understanding or translation of that is very naive, and I'm learning a lot every day. Um, but as far as you know, um, what I think needs to be done in order to get there, I think I mentioned earlier, which is ultimately. And you sort of touched on this talking about the kids in cages where if you see that and you're not moved by it enough to action and there's a problem, I think we've got to fight for the future we want to see 
for our kids. And if we don't have kids, we have to still fight for the future we want to see for other people's kids. And we've got to have a level of conviction behind that in order to lean in, in whatever way are best suited to be warriors in this together. Because not everybody has to be out there on the front line at the marches. That's one way to let your voice be heard. You could do as much damage, if not more, behind, you know, uh, behind a phone, behind, you know, contribution. If we're talking about contribution, uh, I urge people to not look at their money as donations, but actually as investments. And so when we talk about investment, what that means, if you think like an investor, it means to not just put your money somewhere and consider it gone, but to really care about how it's being spent and attract that. So I think we have to invest in these communities. We have to invest in these cultures and we have to care about them the way we care about our own jobs and the way we care about our own cultures and the way our own, you know, uh, our own people. So. You know, that's that's really what I hope is, is a lot of people to be invested in the conversation and 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 in the solutions available. Is uh, and not to pry too much into your personal life, but is your is your child? Uh, yeah, a biracial she is. Child? Yeah. So my wife's white. And so oh. my daughter is a quarter uh, black American and th- uh, three fourths Caucasian. And uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So she's. Biracial yeah. babies are the future. <laughs> less diseases, yeah. less problems. Yeah. You want to, you want to invest in your future? Go get yourself a biracial <laughs> baby or make one. You know, put some music on, make a, make a nice biracial baby. Go. It's great. But if you don't have a biracial baby, your baby's beautiful too. <laughs> you know, I'm not trying to say that they're not, but I'm just saying, biracial yeah. babies are the future. No, she so, really is, man. Yeah. She's, uh, she's a gem, and you know we're we're trying to it's interesting a lot of what the research that i've done around children and their sort of understanding of race dif- racial differences etc start um as early as like a year and a half um and so you know at this point a big part of what i'm trying to do with her because she actually i think she's light enough that she's going to ha- she's going to basically have the opportunity to choose how she identifies um i mean her yes. hair is definitely curly i think people will know she's mixed with something but she's still going to uh, have a a bit more freedom to to choose how she identifies and so i'm just saturating her with uh with with you know all cultures but specifically black culture and and uh you know that's one thing i love about long beach is just the level of diversity and um i can't really see us going anywhere because it's just it's an absolute you know melting pot you think everything kind of blends together this is like a salad that's like has all its little vibrant parts um so yeah, we're, we're stoked to be here man and and i'm really stoked for her um you know the world that we're, we've got to basically carve you know we got to carve it out for her so um yeah it's it's it, you know it's funny that you mentioned that where you know she's light enough to sort of choose her own identity and i think that that's the point that that i want people to understand about brown people and black people is that you know we we have different identities we're all different and, and it's who we identify as it's important so you know you can't be pigeonholed you know there's people that you know that are black that i've heard other people question and i'm like oh you don't know what yeah. that is but you're black and it's like yeah, oh, what yeah. Does that mean? <laughs> you know it's like and the funny thing is i i just i've been sort of going through all these movies that i love and i happen to fall upon again school oh, days because i never watched it in oh. full length like one of my favorite movies is of course you know there 
beyond the other regular favorite movies, but I love yeah. Do the Right Thing. The music, mm-hmm. the look, you know, the Jordans, you know, <laughs> boom boxes, and of course the ridiculous, you know, character of, you know, uh, yeah. Mars. And uh, yeah, how he's yeah. so Brooklyn and so forth. The mayor and, so, and you know, mother, sister, and yeah, yeah. The movies. But I started watching School Days because it was the only movie that I had never seen yeah. in full length. And there was that whole song of good hair yeah. and bad yeah. hair. I grew and up hearing the, that. It's the topic that... I grew up hearing it yeah. all the time. Yeah. You know, and it's like... And in Spanish, you know, in, in Latino cultures, there's, you know, there's always sayings for it. And, you know... I just remember somebody saying, oh, poor kid, he grew mm. up with the bad hair. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I thought, I don't know what's wrong with my hair. I kind of yeah. think it's great. I mean, it, I'm hot. I'm always hot. Yeah. It's too much. But I don't think that it's a, it's a bad thing. And so, you know, having these children that have this curly hair, uh, it's very important for us to teach them that yeah. it's not bad hair. Yeah. They don't want to grow up with that stigma. Because I had it for a long time. You know, I, I was always okay with my hair but people would always tell me yeah. i had bad yeah. hair yeah what is it what does and, that do to you, you know, right? growing I mean, up, what is that yeah it instills kind of a thing yeah. that you're not right that, that there's something not right and the worst part was also being in la and being mm. afro-latino so i wasn't mm-hmm. black enough and i wasn't brown enough so it's like you have this feeling that you don't belong yeah. anywhere like you know and i wanted to search out other people that were kind of like me but some people were trying to hide who they were so it was like it was a very difficult thing, so I think that's why I became such a, you know, outward personality person where yeah. I'm like, I'm myself, yeah. and this is who I am, and I'm going to just make it, and, you know, and I had to find the grind, and sometimes I did wrong things, and sometimes I did it right, and sometimes I figured it out, sometimes I didn't, but it was a great yeah, challenge for me, and I wish that, like, people who are interracial and mixed and have black blood and Latino blood could find a common place where yeah. say, no, you're okay. You're perfect 100%. the way you are. I know that in you know, in the East Coast with Dominicans and Puerto oh, Ricans man. and Cubans. And so they have that mixture here. But in California here, yeah. I didn't have that. There wasn't a place to go where I was like, oh, Africa, yeah, that's yeah. where I like to go. You know, yeah. like, that's my place, you know, or these are my people. And so I feel with all these children now that are coming around that are so interracial that we need to definitely build that yeah. future that you said and invest in that future. And that's a great word. We're not donating. We're investing. We're not doing research. We're investing we're doing all these things to like help the future out and having these beautiful children of make races or pure race people, you know, just having them intermix with each other and know who they are and just letting them know, Hey, that hair, yeah, you're good. You're okay. You have beautiful hair. Of course, don't <laughs> let people touch it, but you know. that's it. man. <laughs> don't touch my hair. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's hard to manage sometimes. I'll tell you that if you oh. ever want to know and you want to touch it, don't touch it. Cause it's hard to manage. We don't need your hands on, our natural oils and our beautiful it, curls, it's and it's okay. You can admire right. it from afar. You know, take a picture. I'm growing mine out. I, I had I had a sort of hair uh, identity issues uh, for a long time. Uh, in it, just in the corporate environment, I and I didn't always want to cut my hair. I didn't always want to do the high and tight thing, and so I, I just started wearing hats all the time. And it was just like an easy way for me to just hide what I was working with. And then I just had this giant collection of hats. Like, what am I? And then during, you know, what am I trying to hide? And then during this whole COVID window, I just said, you know what, man? This is it. This is my time to shine. I'm growing my hair back out. I'm letting it do what it does. I love my natural, you know, and I'm not, I'm not 
Yeah. I've been growing. I've been ha- wearing hats for so long that people actually yeah. thought I was bald. <laughs> and I was playing dodgeball one time, and somebody hit the bill of my hat, and my hat flipped over, and I just kept playing. And then after the game was done, there was these people on the sideline with their mouth open, and they were like, "It's just like yeah. you can't unsee yeah. that. You have so <laughs> much hair. I thought you were bald." And it's like. But, you know, it's that thing where, like, you have yeah. to love your hair. And I know that sometimes in corporate area, you you yeah. don't know how to tame it or you don't know what's, you know, like, it is appropriate. This is our yeah, hair. Yeah, 100%. Man. With that, I'm going to close out and say thank you, Marcus, for coming and speaking to us this week. Um, it was enlightening. It was amazing. It was interesting. I love that you said certain things that are going to resonate with me for a long time. Remember, guys, we're not donating to these uh associations and bell funds and the okra project we're 100 because it's all about and it's all about it's all about i want to add one thing to that you know you're investing because you're also investing in yourself by investing in others and 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 that's 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 the future we can build together so i i appreciate you so much i appreciate you having me on and i i look forward to to talking with you again brother yes you too see you later thanks a lot guys for listening and we'll see you soon Thanks for listening. Follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Instagram. Leave a like. Leave a comment. And remember, if you don't see color, you don't see beauty. (laughs) 